So today is uh, Sanctity of Life Sunday, and, um, and we wanted to recognize that. Um, God um, is the author of life. He cares about life, not just the unborn. He cares uh, immensely for the unborn, but he cares for the orphan. Um, should I sing along with that? Um, is, is my mic even on? Yeah. It is on a little bit. Great. Uh, but he, ca- he cares for life. And the um, Sanctity of Life Sunday is we put this in front of you just to uh, really be aware of the uh, plight of the unborn, uh, the uh, plight of the uh, orphans. And, um, and, I, and I don't want to leave out the elderly, They're the, the cast, cast away elderly that are um, um, living and suffering by themselves. I want to read something that I actually um, stole from Russell Moore. And um, he can word it better than I can, and then I added some of my own stuff into it as well. And he says this. He says, I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded that we have to say things to one another that human beings shouldn't have to say. Mothers shouldn't kill their children. Fathers shouldn't abandon their babies. No human life is worthless, regardless of skin color, age, disability, or economic status. The very fact that these things must be proclaimed is a reminder of the horrors of this present darkness. I hate Sanctity of Human Life Sunday because I'm reminded that as I'm preaching, there are babies warmly nestled in wombs who won't be there tomorrow. I'm reminded that there are children, maybe even blocks from where we live, who will be slapped, punched, and burnt with cigarettes before nightfall. I'm reminded that there are elderly men and women languishing away in loneliness, their lives pronounced to be a waste. But I love Sanctity of Human Life Sunday when I think about the fact that, that I serve, we serve in a congregation with ex-orphans all around adopted into loving families. I love to reflect on the men and women who serve in the Pregnancy Resource Center, who serve in foster care, who serve the elderly and are bringing orphans into their families. And I love to see men and women who have aborted babies find their sins forgiven. Yes, even this sin. And their consciences cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And I just want to encourage us this morning to um, encourage each of us, and, and, and me right at the front of the line, that there's, God cares deeply for life and the lives that I just described. And there is, there is um, something for every one of us to do. Uh, we may not all be called to adopt a child. We may not all be called to foster care. We may not all be called to uh, be a CASA, a, a court-appointed special advocate. Um, We may not all be called to volunteer at the Women's Resource Center in Greeley or Windsor. But at the very least, we should be praying for Christian organizations who exist to not just rescue and to esteem life, but to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ that can truly bring death to life. So um, there are uh, opportunities in this body um, to serve the elderly. If you talk to Nancy Bonesteel, um, there are opportunities to uh, save, uh, to serve orphans um, in the foster care. Talk to Jen Coet or Eric Coet. Um, there is some momentum in this body right now, actually, to uh, create um, 
um, a ministry, if I can use that term, to actually serve families in this body that desire to adopt kids. That there is uh, there's such a movement going on right now um, that I don't remember happening when I was... Um, when my wife and I were having kids. Of, there's, there's something that is just right about this younger generation that is um, loving the unborn and wanting to um, adopt kids. So we want to rally around these families. So I'm not sure exactly what it looks like. I'll tell you after Thursday, um, but just be praying for that right now. But, but every one of us should have some type of role in, um, in the sanctity of life. Can I pray? Um, before I pray, I just want to um, just once again thank you for um, a lot of you that have been praying and also serving our family over this last week. Um, I know my wife and her sisters and her daddy who's still in the hospital really sensed um, and have been upheld um, by the nearness of God. So we just praise God for um, that we get to be in this sermon series talking about belonging together in the beauty of a local church while we have actually been upheld by the local church. So we just praise God for that. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for, um, for the body of Christ. Um, I thank you that the, uh, the body of Christ exists because you laid down your body. That you, um, who knew no sin, became our sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. And I thank you, God, that you uh, brought us into your family, made us a part of your body, that declared that we are now your bride because of nothing that we did, but because of your loving kindness through your grace. And I thank you for the amazing design that no man could have ever crafted of the beauty of the bride the church, the local church. And God, I pray um, as I am uh, really turned inside out and uh, feel like uh, there's just, I, I've got nothing to offer this morning, but I, I got to pray that, that you would uh, just use my fumbling, um, babbling words, God, to, uh, to proclaim um, your goodness and your greatness. And at the very minimum this morning, God, that I pray that we would leave here um, in awe of who you are. And that such a, an almighty, um, sovereign, gracious, just, and holy God would set his eyes on us and declare that we are your beloved. God, I pray that, that at the very least we'd walk away understanding how much we are loved. And then in turn that would compel us to want to um, love one another so that the on-looking world would want to know about this crazy upside-down love. So we praise you and we worship you. Uh, we continue to do that, God, uh, now through your word, for your glory and for the good and the sake of the elect. And God's people say, amen. I was just telling my wife on the way over here that... Um, <laughs> We, we preach through a book of the Bible for a reason. Because it's just, it's, quite honestly, it's easier and it's better. Because we get to stay away from any like pet um, um, agendas. And um, I'm really grateful for this series called Belong Together, where we're looking at the purpose of priority and the power of the church. 
But, but there's like no one scripture that we're hanging this on. And so, um, so we've created this five-week sermon series with themes of the five weeks that we know there's scripture all over, but, but it's, it's dangerous when you've got a theme and you're hunting pecking for scripture. And uh, so just know it's, just, it's been hard and um, it's been good for my soul. I trust that God's going to use it um, to um, just grow us in his um, likeness as his body and his family. The last couple of weeks, we've looked at the definition of the church, and we, we um, looked at um, the how and when somebody becomes a member of Christ's church. We, we examined the purpose priority of the local church, and we, we saw from Acts 2.41 that after Peter preached the gospel to those thousands of people, that they responded they actually asked the question, how should we respond? They were cut to the heart, it said, and said, how should we respond? And he says, repent and be baptized. Believe and be baptized. And it said, um, on that day in Acts 2.41, that 3,000 were added that day. They, they became part of Christ's church. It was, the first part, it was the first universal church. It was the first local church. And we talked about the different metaphors used to describe the function of the church, of the bride, God's bride, his family, his body, his temple, his building with Christ being the cornerstone, that we are his flock. And then we saw that it's in the context of the local church that Matthew 28, 18 through 20 has lived out. Where Jesus said his final words, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the, the, baptizing them excuse me, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. And we're actually going to talk about this morning about baptism. And we're also going to talk a little bit about communion and the Lord's Supper. These are two ordinances, or some churches call them sacraments, that are um, actually um, exercised or practiced in the context of the Sunday gathering. We also discussed how humanity was created by a relational God for community with one another. And we looked at how the early church lived out some of those rhythms and patterns. And last week we, we examined um, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And there's one word that stuck out, stuck out in those verses. And it was the word together. That we saw in the early church that they were together. They were together in proximity. Uh, they were together where they were able to um, share one another's burdens. They were together so they were able to know one another's joys and to be able to rejoice with one another. We also saw that they were together um, in um, um, a like mind, in a like passion. It was the Greek word humathamadon, that they weren't just together in proximity, but they shared the same heart for the Lord, and they shared, shared the same heart for one another, and they had the same heart to reach out to others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church is knit together by Christ's love, and we are to love one another, not just in word, but in deed. We talked about this last week. And the life of the early church lived together could be summarized. We talk about this by, uh, with, by John 13, 33 through 35, the great commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. You see, 
Jesus or God could have, could have written from Genesis 1 about his love for humanity. And he could have written about his love for humanity all the way through the end of the Bible. But if he didn't act on his love, he was not a very loving God. If Jesus didn't come down as Emmanuel and live the, in our homes, whether it be in our church, we can say we love each other and we should say it all the time. But if it's not backed up with action, with deed, it's really not love. And if it's not backed up with word and deed, the onlooking world can't watch us love each other. They just say, they see us saying to one another, I love you. Yeah, I love you back. And then we divorce, we divide. What kind of testimony is that? We're to love one another um, in deed. And we do this by being together in proximity with one another, with a common mind, a common passion, humathamadan. I said rightly over the last couple of weeks that we don't go to church. We are the church. We are the church. However, and paradoxically, I'm not suggesting that anyone stop gathering with the church on Sunday. You see, our regular and faithful involvement in gathered worship is essential for our growth. You see, in our, in our gathered worship, this is what we're doing today. This is gathered worship. We celebrate together. We're going to actually celebrate together as we partake in the Lord's Supper. And we learn from the teaching gifts that God has given His church. And we're edified and encouraged as the body serves and worships together. The gathering is also a place where we can invite our friends and family to come and see. We shouldn't be afraid of that. Because we know that this is a place where they will encounter the beautiful, authentic, transparent, and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. So yes, show up when the doors are open. God created DVRs so you could record the Broncos, not miss a far better celebration. You can't truly be the church without attending. Church isn't something I can be by myself or you can be by yourself. The church is people meeting together. You see, we can't eliminate the meeting part and still be the church. So the gathering matters. But don't just attend without engaging. Don't just do your church thing a couple times a month, which is the average for most people in America today, and most Christians, and think you've done your duty. Come to church so that we can be the church. And we're going to talk about that today. Today we're going to talk about the priority and purpose of the Sunday gathering, what we're doing here today. And notice I'm not referring to it as a worship service, actually. We're, we're actually here to worship, but I actually, um, and, I, and I don't want to get too bogged down in semantics, but, but the, the, the church today in America, specifically, and what I would say in Africa too, what I've experienced, is that we live our lives for six days a week any way we please. We, we um, spend time with our wives or our husbands, our kids, we go to work, we do the sports thing, we engage with neighbors, and then we go to the Sunday morning worship service to worship. We don't understand, we have a, a wrong understanding that really life is all of worship. We did a sermon series a couple years ago that I thought was amazing that all the pastors participated in, and the sermon series was called All of Life is Worship, and it's from Romans 12.1, and Romans 12.1 says this, 
He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. What Paul is saying is, is that, that I appeal to you. I'm not commanding to you. I appeal to you based on everything that Christ Jesus has done. Because of God's mercy on you, because of his grace, because he saved you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable God, that's your spiritual worship. So what worship is, is if you want to distill it down to just a sentence, it's living in joyful obedience to God's commands as directed by the Holy Spirit. That's worship. This is worship, but this is a continuation of worship. We don't um, not worship the other six days of the week and then come to the worship service and then leave it and not worship for the next six days. You see, as pastors, we would rather use the term, this is gathered worship. To, and this describes our Sunday gathering. You see, words are everything. And when we refer to our gathering as the worship service, it's not painting the right picture. Sundays when we gather corporately, the entire local body to continue worship and also to begin worship. just have to tell you right now, but most of my notes make no sense this morning. You're here this morning. As I look around this room, most of you are here every Sunday morning. Praise be to God. As I look around the room, many of you are, many of you are serving. In your own mind, based on your experience, maybe based on what you know about God's word, what's the purpose of the Sunday gathering? Gathered worship. What's the purpose of it? Why do we do it? And my hope and prayer is that, that for whatever um, right reason or wrong reason that you may come together to worship on Sunday, I pray that by looking at God's word today, we would just have a, um, a little bit more of a biblical understanding of the purpose of the gathered worship. So why gather? First of all, all the metaphors used to describe Christ's church are all corporate. They're all congregational in nature. These metaphors are actually our greatest hermeneutic for gathering regularly and gathering often as a body. You see, we get together locally here and now because we are already together spiritually in Christ. Let me say it again. We get to gather corporately because we are already bound together or united together spiritually in Christ. We belong to each other because we all belong to Christ. We together are His body, His building, His flock, His family. And so we come together now because it would be unthinkable for us not to do that. It's like a choir that never assembled to sing or a sporting team that, like the Broncos that never came together to play or a family that never gets together to eat or talk or share news with each other. You see, we see in Scripture that the church seemed to gather in specific places on the first day of the week, Sunday, for the reading and preaching of God's Word as well as singing, praying, and participating in the Lord's Supper together. However, there's, there's so much of what we do that is just, it's cultural. Any, any group of Christian people of any size with at least one qualified elder meeting in the name and presence of Christ in any location, 
at any time of day, any day of the week, with any frequency, so long as it's regular and often, at which time they speak and hear God's word together through Bible reading and preaching and teaching, and they respond in prayer with prayer and thanksgiving. It's a church. The church doesn't have to meet on Sunday, actually. There's, there's nowhere in God's word that says that the church must gather congregationally or corporately on Sunday. Now we've got, um, now what I'm describing here is there's no prescription. There are descriptions in the word that says that the, that the church met on the first day of the week. Most of what we do in gathered worship here at WCC, most of it is actually not necessary or mandated by Scripture in any way. It doesn't mean that what we do is bad. It's just, not that, it's, it's just that most of it could be taken away and it still would be gathered worship. The coffee. The coffee. I mean, it's borderline. But the, but the coffee. I mean, it's not borderline good. It's borderline if we should take it away. The nursery. Children's ministry. Greeters. Bulletins. This platform. A band. One guy preaching every Sunday. All of those things are good, and we love them, but they're not, they're not, um, it's not thus saith the Lord. We do these things because um, the goal of the Sunday gathering is actually to glorify God and to build up, encourage, and edify the body. And the reason that we have nursery and children's ministry is so that the adults down here, undistracted, can be built up and encouraged and taught. And so that the kids upstairs can be built up, encouraged, and taught. The reason we have coffee on Sunday mornings is because I preach most of the time. Amen. Man. That's the only amen I've gotten in six months. <laughs> Using the language of gathered and scattered worship should describe our gathering as Christians. Large and small gatherings is our gathered worship, and then scattering out through the rest of the week in our workplace, in our neighborhoods, on the sidelines of the sports team is the scattered worship couple of important points before we get into the passage. Going to gathered worship does not make you a Christian any more than going to a donut shop makes you a cop. Participating in gathered worship, however, is vital for Christians. Philip Jensen argued that the distinctively Christian gathering or assembly that historically has come to be called the church, is made up of those whom God has saved and redeemed in Christ and, now, and who now in repentance and trust gather around him to listen to his word so that they may persevere and grow in holiness and righteousness. I'm going to read that again. The distinctively Christian gathering or assembly, gathered worship, that historically has been called the church, is made up of those whom God has saved and redeemed in Christ and who now in repentance and trust gather around him to listen to his word so that they may persevere and grow in holiness and righteousness. Do you ever think about that? That the reason we come here so that we would, so that we would grow 
in holiness and righteousness. So that we would look more like Jesus. So that, so that we would be more um, overcome by the love of Jesus. Spurgeon, back in the 1800s, said this. He says, Go not where it's all fine music and grand talk and beautiful architecture. Those things will never fill anyone's stomach nor feed their soul. Go where the gospel is preached, the gospel that feeds your soul. And he says, Go often. Charles Spurgeon. So let's, let's look at Hebrews 10, uh, 19 through 25. As these verses, I think, are helpful in informing the purpose and pattern of our gathered worship. So chapter 10, Hebrews, verses 19 through 25. The author says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Whenever you see therefore, you've got to ask the question, what is it therefore? In the first nine chapters of Hebrews, talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through the first nine chapters, he takes a look at the Old Testament sacrificial and priestly system and argues that it was all fulfilled in Jesus' life and death. We no longer need an earthly priest. We no longer need a sacrificial system in order to approach God. Because of the blood of Jesus, not lambs, we can approach the throne. Because, of, because Jesus is our high priest, we don't need earthly priests. That Jesus has torn the veil and we now have access to the Father. And the Father's door is always open to those who he has saved by grace through faith in Jesus' sacrifice for their sins. So the author says, in, in light of these truths, or therefore, respond this way, and respond this way confidently. He says, now because of that, let us draw near to God. He is always with us, but we can draw even nearer to Him. He is near to us, and He wants us to draw near to Him. On our best day and on our worst day, we can confidently draw near to God with full assurance. And because of Christ's priestly work and sacrificing himself, and what, a, what a conundrum that is, that Jesus was both the sacrifice, the lamb, and the priest. That he sacrificed himself for us, for our sins. So the author says, in light of this, draw near to God. Verse 23, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope. When, it, when do you lose hope? Or another question is, what do you hope in? Sometimes it's easy to lose hope when people are sick and dying around you. We start putting our hope in doctors. We start putting our hope in uh, pastors. We start putting our hope in other people. But our hope, we can hold fast to the confession of our hope. We have strong incentive to persevere in faith because our God is absolutely faithful and it's impossible for him to lie. He, his promises will never fail us. Therefore, we must be steadfast to the end in faith. 
You see, the Sunday gathering is a time and place where we remind one another of God's promises so that we can persevere in the midst of sin and disappointment. I don't know about you, but, but, the, but weeks, and the older I get, the more I know God's love for me. And the more that I want to just love Him back and I want to tell other people about it. I want to stop playing church. But also the older I get, the more I understand the depravity of humanity and the, the disappointments of life. That things don't always go my way. Imagine that. But our hope, it's been, and, I, and I find myself getting, getting down or uh, checking out or getting angry. It's because I've got misplaced hope that I'm hoping in um, things that God never said. In verses 24 and 25, it says, Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. And look at how he describes that, verse 24. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Number one, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Number two, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see, the command here, lest you misunderstand, the command here is not to meet together. That's not the end. That's, that's not the end. Yes, yes, there is a command to meet together, but it's not the end. It's presented as a means to another end. We as Christians are to meet together for the purpose of stirring one another up to love and good works. And what's implied here is not simply attending the church service, but being the church at church. It's when we're together that we live out our bodiness, we live out our familyness, we live out our brightness. At gathered worship, we remind one another of Christ's covenant love for his people, you and I, the church. We do this through reading the word and preaching the word by responding to the word in song, in prayer, in fellowship with each other as we fellowship with the Lord. What's it mean to stir one another up? It literally means to provoke. To provoke, to love and good works. And, and the best picture that I have is that if I, um, if, if I had a water bottle like this and it was um, full of mud on the bottom um, and I wanted to stir that mud up or provoke it, if I just bump it, the mud's not going to move at all. But if I want to um, stir that mud up, I want to provoke that mud to move, I'm going to have to actually stick my hand into the water and and provoke it, and stir it up. And that's actually what we're called to do with each other. And when we just attend a church service, rather than participate in gathered worship, we're just bumping into each other, and there's no stirring going on. That we actually need to um, reach into one another's lives. Say, how are you doing? No, no, really, how are you doing? How has your time in the Word been? Stirring that mud up this week. Are you loving Jesus more this week than last week? No. Are you understanding his covenant love for you? That transcends any of your behavior. Are we asking questions like, is there any sin that has overtaken you this week that I can be praying for, that I can encourage you in? 
You see, that's the purpose of gathered worship is so that we can be together and we can make much of the triune God where we can talk about God's covenant love for us that is a result of nothing we've done. And then we can stir one another up to live that love out. Worship is responding to what the Lord has already done. We talked about that in Romans 12.1. So on Sundays, at our gathered worship, we remind one another what the Lord has done. And we respond by singing and praying and reading scripture and preaching and serving one another. Next week, we're actually going to talk about serving one another. Pastor Chris gets that passage where he's going to talk about how we encourage one another by serving in our giftedness. Sunday's not the end. It's not the pinnacle, but it's vitally important as we send each other out to scattered worship the other seven days. I would encourage you, I encourage myself to engage in gathered worship via a community group during the week. That's also gathered worship, the community groups. In many ways, our weekend gathering is gospel fuel that renews your hope and strengthens your faith. And I don't know about you, but I can't make it from Sunday to Sunday. I've got to be with other believers. I've got to have other believers to speak truth to me, to remind me of God's covenant love for me. I need that. That's why we have community groups. It's not just a a cool, um, hipster, 2018 thing to do. You either have a life group, a community group, a missional community, um, a flock, whatever you want to call them. We do it because we, we take these verses seriously. We know that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, and he wants to devour us. And if we're not together... He's going to have a heyday that none of us, we're not designed. The church is not me and the church is not you. The church is us together. And together we can fight the lies of the enemy. Together we can believe the truth of Scripture. Together we can serve one another in our giftedness. That we can love one another in action as Christ loved us in action. So that the world will know that we've taken on the name of Jesus Christ that we are Christians, that we are, that we are different and that we are um, set apart. And I love this very last part in verse 25. It says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day drawn near. Do you know what he's talking about there? Jesus coming back. Jesus coming back. And he's coming back. He's coming back. It may not be during our lifetimes, but he's coming back. And if he doesn't come back in our lifetime, you know what else that means? You died first. And that we are to uh, persevere and encourage one another. This, this last week for us has been, um, it's been hard, but it's been awesome. And, and you guys, many of you experienced more death than I have. But there's nothing like uh, the death of a loved one to have you take a reality check. And say, man, what am I doing? What am I doing with my money? What am I doing with my talents? What am I doing with my time? What matters? If the day is near, and if everyone is going to die, and not everybody's going to die in Christ, and we've got the remedy, the gospel of Jesus Christ, what are we doing messing around? 
What are we doing messing around? You see, we need, to, we need to be together more often. We need to be in the world more often together. I love this little cheesy example that I stole from somebody about the church, the value of the church. It says, in 1988, three whales became trapped under a sheet of ice near the point of Barrow, Alaska. In an attempt to save the whales, rescuers dug a series of breathing holes in the ice back to the ocean so that the whales could come up and follow their way back. Two of the three whales were rescued because they were able to get oxygen they needed and were guided in the correct direction. In the same way, gathered worship is like a string of breathing holes the Lord provides for his people, guiding and sustaining us until we make it to our true home of heaven. That, that that's what this is, that the, the Sunday gathering should be a place where, uh, that we're breathing life into you. It, isn't a, it shouldn't be a place where you were ever feeling built, uh, uh, beat up. You see, um, being a part of, of the church community, the local church community, um, we don't have membership here. Um, we don't take, um, um, what do you call it, roll call here. Um, there's no list out there. We, we thought about chips in, in your, you know, in your, well, we've already got them in your kids. I don't know if you know that or not. Um, but we, but we, we want you to be so um, in love with Jesus Christ. We want you to so understand his covenant love for you. And that you were purchased to not be a lone ranger, but you were purchased and brought into his family, his body. And that you would want to be more and more a part of it. And in so many ways, when I preach on Sunday morning, in so many ways, I'm preaching to the choir, the proverbial choir, because some of you get it in so many ways um, even more than I do. But I've got to remind us of it. Um, I want to just talk briefly about baptism and about communion. Because these are two ordinances that we uh, practice on Sunday morning, that we, we participate in, if you will, on Sunday morning. And I want to describe to you what baptism is. Um, and and it, it might sound rudimentary to some of you, but, but if you look back to Acts chapter 2, verse 41, or as, as actually uh, verses 38 and 39, and they asked Peter, brothers, what should we do? And he said, repent and what? Be baptized. Repent and be baptized. And, and baptized, the way that we understand God's word, that baptize, baptism is, um, is being immersed in water. And it's for the professing believer. There's, no, there's nothing salvific about it. It's, it's you, you believe and then you get baptized. And it's, and it's really, um, I love this example, to be compared to a marriage ceremony when the lady takes on the man's name. I, know it's, I don't really even know the genesis of that, but most of you that are married, ladies, you took on your husband's last name, right? I don't actually fully know why that is, you know? Um, but, but in the same way, when we're baptized, we are publicly taking on Christ's name. It's like at that moment, um, we're already the Lord's, uh, before that, you see, baptism is an outward sign of what's already happened inwardly. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. But when we are baptized, it is a public proclamation where that ring goes on. It's a sign and a seal that we belong to Him. 
I want to encourage you that if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, if you have believed in Jesus for the remission of your sins and you've not been baptized, um, it's time to get baptized. It's time to get baptized. We will lock arms on brothers and sisters, uh, uh, great churches in the Gospel Coalition that we partner with um, that believe differently. They believe in um, in pedo-baptism. We'll lock lock arms. But we we see so clearly in Scripture that baptism is for the believer and it is a step of obedience. I want to talk about communion, and we're going to celebrate this. Communion is referred to as the Lord's Supper or some refer to it as the Eucharist. And there's different traditions. In the Catholic Church, communion is actually um, what they call transubstantiation. That they, they believe that the, that, the, that the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice is literally the body and blood of Jesus Christ. We don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We see what the Luther and the Lutheran church um, um, proclaim, and that's consubstantiation. That it's not literally the, be- the, the bread, or the, the body and the blood of Jesus, but it is, um, I don't even fully understand it, but it's, it's, it's close to transubstantiation. What, what we believe is that what Jesus said, that we are to eat this in remembrance of what he's done for us. And there's also something supernatural, something spiritual, actually, that happens when we participate um, in the elements. There's, there's something supernatural. I don't understand it, but when we look at Scripture, we see it. Open up your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11 with me for a minute. as we uh, wing it together by the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, chapter 11, it says, But in the following instructions I do not commend you because you come together. It is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, when you come together as a congregation or a corporate gathering, I hear that there are divisions among you, and I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you must be, may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I receive from the Lord what I also deliver to you. I'm going to actually skip down to verse 27 before we do uh, talk about verse 23. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body in blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Let me say this. We don't say it enough. Communion, the Lord's Supper, is only for those who are part of Christ's church. And how are you part of Christ's church? By faith. 
The scriptures actually say uh, that you've repented and you've been baptized. So, um, so baptism is the wedding ceremony. Communion is like the anniversary, if you will. And I actually, I think every time I have the privilege of leading us in communion, I want to talk to the pastors and say, why don't we do this every Sunday? Why don't we do this every Sunday? Is to remember Christ's shed blood for us. And to partake as a body, particularly with, with this service, it's, it's something we do together, we don't do it alone. That communion, that the Lord's, it's not something you do by yourself in your room, that it is a, it is a group activity. It is a body activity. So let a person examine himself then, so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Does that mean that if you have uh, sinned this morning that you can't participate in this? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it says examine yourself. Is there, any, is there any sin, any unconfessed sin? Is there something you're holding against another body part that needs to be confessed? And then we'll continue to take communion. We do this in remembrance of him. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I'm just going to trust the Lord with this because I feel like I'm really starting to ramble and butcher this. But communion is for us to remember Christ's shed blood to bring us into his family. And we're partaking together as part of his body, his family. So I just want to encourage you to go up and um, first examine yourself. Um, if you're not in the faith, if you do not identify yourself as a blood-bought Christian of Jesus Christ, saved by grace, um, you can't participate. So glad you're here. And our prayer is that you come to Christ. And then you'll be a part of this body. So come up, examine yourself, take the elements, and I'll come back up and we'll, we'll eat it together as one body. When Jesus called his disciples to himself to celebrate the Passover, and the Passover was the very last curse that God put on the Egyptians so that his people could be released from exile. He told them to take a spotted or a, a, a unblemished lamb and smear the blood on the doorposts. And the angel of death would pass over so that all who had the blood of the unblemished lamb on their doorposts, that the angel of death passed over. And on this Passover night, Jesus said that there's no more need for an unblemished lamb because I am the unblemished lamb. That I am the sacrifice, the one sacrifice who died for all so that all who believe might live. And he said this in Mark. He says, as they were eating the Passover meal, he took bread and after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to him. And he said, take this. 
This is my body. Eat it in remembrance of me. And he took a cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, and, he, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of heaven. Father, thank you for um, loving us. Thanks for choosing us. Thank you for making us your people, your beloved children. And Lord Jesus, we thank you that, that you as the great high priest didn't sacrifice an animal, a perfect animal, but you sacrificed yourself. You shed your blood so that we, by faith covered by your blood, would never experience the final death. We would never experience the consequences for our sin. We thank you that because of your shed blood for us, that not only will we not experience the consequences and the shame and guilt of our sin, but we get you. We get you, Father. That we are forever part of your family, your body. We thank you that you would use the likes of us to build your house. And we thank you that no one man, no one church is a cornerstone, but you, Lord Jesus, are the cornerstone in which the entire building is built up. And God, I just, I pray that, um, I pray that in the coming days, weeks, months, years, God, that you would shape this Sunday gathering. You'd continue to shape it um, to a, um, a, a gathering of saints that make much of you, that encourage and edify and build one another up. That we would be ones who um, encourage one another and spur one another on to love and good works. Not so that we would be known, but so that you might be known. Again, I just, uh, one final prayer is just anything good that comes out of this body. Lord, even all the good that came out of this body this last week is there's been uh, just such an outpouring of love for those that have been um, grieving. We want you to have that glory, God. Not us individually, not us together, but you. We love you. We thank you that you loved us first. And God's people said,